to be Saturday? What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falcon, Summer Falcon Screenway, coming at you live from the 2ACL studio, and we have with us Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Just so you know, it's hot as hell in here, so if we struggle to get through this episode, it's because they haven't fixed the air con at 2SEI yet. Yeah, if, if, if a movie that we would normally love gets a bad review, it's yeah. because we're just sweltering. We're just again. angry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, Varad Nehru is not joining us this week. He'll be joining us next week. Like James Bond, he will return, but we have with us from Filmatic and the AU Review and Impulse Gamer, Harris Dang. Harris, Hello. thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. It's an honor. <laughs> and we have with us from Static Vision, Felix. Felix Hubble. That is correct. I am here. I'm back on the ones and twos in the radio studio out live to Australia. Let's go, son. <laughs> so we are talking a lot this week. We are talking in a little bit Knives Out, which is in cinemas tomorrow. We've all caught it. We're very keen to discuss it. But first, we are talking all things Static Vision. At Static Vision, you can see Static Vision at Static Vision FC on Twitter and staticvision.com.au. We have Felix here to talk all things Static Vision. But first, what is it? What is Static Vision? A great question. Um, so about a year and a half ago, um, John Edmund, who runs Queensland Film Festival was bringing out a film called Prototype. And he said to me and my housemate, Connor, hey, wouldn't it be great to get a screening up in Sydney? The rights are really cheap. And I've worked in cinema for a bit and just kind of went, let me see what I can do. Worked it out and we managed to like put on a screening of a really small Canadian experimental film that would have never made it to Australia otherwise. And we broke even and we were like, this is great. Yeah, it's Why isn't anyone doing this? I think. I was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah, at the time. It did so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were like, more people should be doing this and yeah so we've um basically every month we bring out a film that generally wouldn't play australia is generally an australian premiere mm. sometimes new south wales mm. um the sort of stuff that sydney film festival uh misses because they may be too small for the festival um and also the sort of stuff that's maybe not going to end up in your cultural festivals here and there um yeah just because i think there's a really strong audience for that sort of kind of audacious experimental cinema in australia and um yeah it's it's apparently financially viable <laughs> to, to break even on this stuff but yeah so that's what we've been doing um and we also do a little bit of curation so we've got a horror program that's been uh, ongoing at palace cinemas for about a year and a half now called um 666 fridays um yeah that's that's who we are that's what we do I, I appreciate it, the Halloween screen. I never actually seen Practical Magic, and I hadn't seen Witches of East Week in years. So. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, that was really good fun. And, um, yeah, it's part of the fun. Um, Palace have been pretty good to us in terms of giving us sort of carte blanche on programming double features and working out mm. what we want to bring out with that program, which has been great. Yeah. It's an interesting experiment because, as you say, like – you, there is a strong audience and we like to believe there is but like when you guys started out I don't think it was so clear because we just don't have screenings of these kind of challenging or experimental films in Sydney oh, no absolutely completely and um, every single new screening just completely shocks me because there's new audience members who go hey I'd never even heard that you guys existed I've been looking for this for years and I, I think that maybe that kid in the candy shop sort of stuff is what uh, me and uh, Connor and Jess and the other people who work with us have always been looking for in cinema um, yeah, it you just know, you just yeah. need like someone to put on the event to take the risk and like grow that audience completely. And I mean, there's so much um, there's stuff popping up now as well. I mean, um, Pink Flamingos in Marrickville, which yep. is an experimental cinema, has been going for a year and a bit now, really strong. I know Half Symbolic are about to start a screening series of Asian film on Wednesday nights at event, and it's really nice to see like 
I feel like the film culture is revitalizing itself a little bit um, in the country. And, like, you know, ideally for me, if we had what's going on in L.A. or New York where you've got 20 rep theaters playing whatever would be incredible. It's not really a possibility or an eventuality that's going to happen in Sydney, but I feel like it's nice to see people start yeah. in their own way. Especially in Sydney, we miss out on so much stuff that Melbourne gets. Completely. Like um, <laughs> the film we are going to talk about later that you screened last night. And, yep. and your last screening... Um, Oh, Longest, Longest Journey, Journey Tonight, tonight yeah. of course, yeah, yeah. Both movies that it's like, why wasn't this at Sydney Film Festival? Yeah, yeah, completely. I mean, like, a logistical thing, historically, the reason this stuff hasn't come to Australia is because the rights are held overseas, and it's, look, honestly, every film we bring out, it's at least a 40-hour process to get through rights negotiations, get the work here. Like, it's not profitable. It does not make money. But if you're passionate and you care, you can not lose money on it right and um kind of keep it going but yeah no definitely i mean sydney film festival obviously have a limited uh number of slots in the festival we try and pick up the glaring oversights and some other stuff that we kind of like along the way but yeah i just think it's like i guess maybe testament to the sort of state of film culture in sydney after all the rep theaters closed maybe 10 years ago that a lot of these things just haven't been yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When when Chevelle stopped being independent and when uh, Valhalla closed, completely dark time. Absolutely, absolutely. But yeah. it does feel like, um, as you say, things are getting better. Like no, totally. These days, the Art Gallery of New South Wales incredible um, rep screening, yeah, incredible yeah. programs, and really busy. Totally, totally. You know? And that that's been a slow burn over time. Like I remember yeah. going to that in like I think two thousand and seven, and and there would be like fifteen people there on a Sunday afternoon. Mm. Now it sells out three sessions a week, guaranteed. Yeah, completely. And I mean, even with our, our screenings as well, just the screening we had last night of I was at home, but yeah. I was expecting maybe twenty people would come, and we it was a sixty six seater, but we sold out the sixty six seats on a really yeah. difficult film. I was like, shocked incredible that it like, sold out because I remember yeah, me too. <laughs> this one had to be delayed because something yeah. went wrong first time. It was yeah, on. yeah, yeah. But you played You Were Never Really Here. Great choice. Yeah, You Were Never Really Here as well back in the theatres. Like, got we got a nice little attendance for that as well. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's just, it's been great. And yeah, um, yeah but, I'm just so happy that people are coming out yeah, and seeing this. Yeah, but the, the trailer that you played for I Was at Home But before um, Long Day's Journey and Tonight, I was thinking, like, no one's going to turn out for this. Yeah, but, totally. but they did. Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was one one. Um, sorry, I'll let us move on so I don't, like, suck up the time. <laughs> but that was one where I was like, I really don't want to um, mismarket this film because I think it's really important because, um, you know, there are, there is this audience out there for kind of the more difficult films. And mm. we do we do book some other stuff like Long Day's Journey and Tonight, which has a bit more of a broader appeal. But um, I feel like to keep this stuff sort of fresh and reaching the audiences that uh, it's going to be good for, you've got to be fully honest in your marketing about this sort of stuff. Because you don't want to burn people out. Completely. And stop them coming back. Completely, (laughs) completely, yeah. I I love how you're collaborating with different groups, the film club, using different spaces, Pink Flamingo. I was there for the Fatal Pulse screening. That was a great screening. Oh, how was it? It was fun, but it wasn't just the movie, it was the environment. There's no other place I felt over the past year you can go to Sydney and feel that sort of filmic environment and that sort of crowd. Yeah, totally, totally. And I think it's just everyone's been stuck at home watching stuff on their laptops and we're all coming out of the woodwork. And That's going, exactly it. always been here. I think, know? yeah, like, like the only way to keep film culture alive is to reinforce that it's a community thing. Totally, totally. We're, we are not building film fans. The film fans are coming out. Like, yeah, yeah, know, yeah. It's, and, it's great. And you, yeah. get to, you get to talk to other film fans. You get totally. to meet people. That's part, part mm-hmm. of the, the best things, I think, about the Pink Flamingo screenings and the AJNSW stuff, and it's been happening at our screenings as well, mm-hmm. is after the film, you've got people standing around in the foyer blocking hallways for 10 minutes talking about the thing they just watched. And I mean, you know, it ha- might happen with Star Wars or something like that, but mm-hmm. that does generally not happen in yeah. the cinema, you know? Yeah. It's the culture yeah. of you just move on. But, Completely. I mean, but it's not even just the 
you know, the bar at Pink Flamingo or the bar at Palace Central. It's that. Yeah. I remember I was sitting outside yeah. uh, on Kensington Street just talking about the films afterwards. It creates that culture. And you get Completely. a bit of that at Sydney. Yeah, yeah. Totally. And it's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's like, again, cinema is alive and well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's out there. So the, yeah. the film we caught yesterday, I was at home, but... Um, just to give a little bit of a rundown for people who are listening, if they want to seek out the film, um, I guess it's, it'll be on video maybe in a few months overseas. Uh, I would say probably give it a year. Give it a year, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. A long, long it's festival a, run. It's a small one. The um, distributor as well is like the, the Deutsche Kinematek, which is like the national cinema. <laughs> right, right. Of, um, yeah, so it's going to be a while. But yeah, um, that film is really hard to describe. It is. Um, it's a hard one to talk about. We've been dreading having this conversation, actually. <laughs> yeah. like, so I, I saw it in, um, I think it was April was the first time I saw it because uh, Sydney Film Festival hadn't announced it for their program. And it was kind of on my radar. And I was just blown away, but I absolutely could not articulate why. And the plot itself, it's following uh, a mother whose son goes missing for a week. He hides out in the woods, basically, after... It's sometime after his father has died. It's mm-hmm. a bit ambiguous. Um, and then he comes back to the house, reintegrates with the family. And you kind of just watch his mother sort of have a slow-motion breakdown. Yep. Sort of. Um, in, in vignettes, more or less, but also with a kind of logical, chronological feel to it. However, none of that, that information is in the film, but it's, it's buried. It's so buried. If you don't read a synopsis before you see the film, you're going to miss the, it, the yeah. line. Uh, yeah. Connor said in the introduction yesterday that it's a plot that you basically build inside your own head. Completely. Um, and yeah, it's a really difficult film and a really difficult film to talk about. Um, I saw it with my girlfriend, Chanel, and afterwards we were sort of like what did you think and it was kind of like yeah i don't know but things about it stuck with us completely and completely um the yeah there's moments today that i found myself still thinking about yeah you just mull over certain scenes and exactly. um there's a strange sense of humor to it yeah absolutely like, there's some really funny stuff in there the, like the the guy but, who she buys the bike from and then decides she doesn't want it anymore and the way that the um the awkwardness of the conversations yeah. around that completely um, there's also uh, an amazing scene where she talks to a film director who's an actual director, yes, yes. Told, right? A Serbian um, film director. Not right. of a Serbian film, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, the director of a Serbian film. Yeah. Um, that would be such a great That would reference. be a good scene. Yes, it would. I mean, it would cheapen the entire <laughs> film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, where... where um, did you have any thoughts? I'm guessing no, because I like a lot of this stuff, It's it, you, I don't really know where a lot of things in this film slip in but they were discussing the like reality um of a situation like death or a traumatic situation versus what an actor has to portray when they're being instructed by a director or a writer and whether that can ever be real completely like i think there's maybe a little bit of self-reflexivity in there yeah Um, given that the movie is about like real life kind of like trauma and Totally, totally. You know, and it film. won the um, Silver Bear at the Berlin Film Festival as well, probably worth noting. I, yeah. I thought um, there was a film last year, uh, I think it won the same award, called uh, Touch Me Not. The, the first yeah. time I watched the film, I felt like a lot of what they were talking about in that conversation as well sort of related to that. Oh, in interesting. Yeah. You know, I actually hated Touch Me Not. I know. Yeah. I remember talking to you I'm about it last year I, I and you, like, you loved it. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I hated it. And like what they say in this film is exactly what I f- hated about Touch Me Not. Yeah. 
So <laughs> I, yeah, I feel yeah, less totally. alone in the universe. Completely. I didn't realize that that's what they were getting at. Yeah, yeah, but I think as well his film and everything else. But I, I, I think what like I really appreciate about that scene rewatching it is um, she is as much talking about her subjective experience uh, that informs her own viewing of film, much yeah. like a lot of people. We got some bad reactions last night, mostly really great. But yeah. um, I feel like everyone sort of brings their own baggage and interest into the film. So she ends up talking about this mm. film in terms of theatre um, yeah. and her response to theatre and what she thinks theatre is, which is so far removed from what the director is kind of trying to get at. Yeah, it's but so the cinematic. Same, at the same time, touches a raw nerve, you know? Right, yeah, I, yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah, kind of, I think that's a really special scene. It's on YouTube if anyone wants to check okay, it out. Okay, right. Did clip it is one. a great scene. Great scene. Uh, it works on its own. Great, and it has a kind of great deadpan humour to it yes, and the, yeah. the re- reactions as she gets more and more emotional and yeah. combative completely it's like every uh sydney film festival q a you've seen that is not handled well it's one of those questions <laughs> yeah. just going off at a director <laughs> to give a bit of uh, a little bit more context about what this film is like why it's so challenging um uh very little context is given when a scene begins as to where the uh you know what exactly they're talking about you need to figure that out for yourself completely. and it also gets kind of non-linear like there's flashbacks are introduced Yes. Uh, without much context to say this is a flashback, there's a moment that uh, I wondered whether it took place in her mind. Like when they, yeah. There's a few moments like that. But for example, totally. like talking to the um, the school teacher and saying, "I've been dreading that you're judging you know, my be- child." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when yeah. there's that scene earlier where you see him judging the child. Yeah, but completely. This is a film that's very, very static. Appropriate for static vision. Absolutely. Um, into like not much camera movement, but really, really beautiful and precise. Um, totally. Very geometric. I wonder if it's meant to be like the the title is a strange kind of like Ozu reference for a film that yeah, I wouldn't yeah. think is. I guess there are Ozu esque elements, but it's so yeah. unlike Ozu. No, in, in no, so many totally, ways. totally. Yeah. I, I think what I really appreciate as well about the um, construction of those specific shots is normally I, I feel like when you watch a lot of um, contemporary American films, it's here's a reference to this record that everyone likes or this comic book or whatever. Yeah. And um, the scenes are packed with information, but it's not look at this specific title on the book. And isn't that a clever reference yeah, to yeah. Uh, what, you know, a reference to... I love Marriage Story, but yeah. it was a bit on the nose last week with, totally. you know, here's the article yeah. scene from a marriage. Yeah, completely, completely. But, um, yeah, it's it's so far removed from that while simultaneously packing every frame with as much information as possible yeah, to kind yeah. of give you different stuff to focus on. But yeah, I, I think it's a really brilliant film. And Just to... Yeah. Um, one last... I guess it's it might be confusing to people hearing me reference all these specific scenes until you, you know, if you haven't seen the film, but maybe I just want you to go out and see it. Absolutely. Um, but the the sequence at the swimming pool, there's this incredible long shot of yep. a child sort of standing in the distance that it speaks a lot. It, it packs a lot of emotional information about his relationship with his mother, just that yeah, really yeah. long frame. Totally. And then totally. afterwards in the following sequence, seeing him get closer and closer to the mother, like trying to heal um, yep. the rift that's happening because of her emotional instability yeah totally totally all that's conveyed very minimally with very little dialogue and just super precise completely completely and as well like i was i was actually talking to my really good friend um about that last night what i find really jarring about that scene you don't actually get the geography of the swimming pool too much but i kind of feel like as a viewer we're positioned to be sitting at the top of the stand just watching a child neglected standing on their own in a corner and it it is quite an uncomfortable feeling to to be witnessing that yeah, that's right. You know, I, I, I really wasn't sure what I thought of the film last night, but like I said, it's really lingered. And I think you mm. said in the intro that it leaves you with a very strange kind of emotional response. Completely. But 
I'm appreciative of Static Vision for putting on this screening and screening films like this because it is like nothing else that's showing in. Um, uh, yeah, it's I just, just it's inaccessible in Australia. Yeah, you, and, you can't get this stuff. And I I love yeah. the opportunity to be given a chance to see this kind of experimental narrative cinema. Yeah, totally. And look, I when I was much younger and there were a bit more of this sort of stuff going on, I loved going and seeing films that I absolutely hated as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. There were like this that were kind of obtuse and hard to dig into. And yeah, I think that's something I really want to do. I miss it because yeah. like we the number of films we get in Arthouse release have really dried up in the last 10 years. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, thanks so much for putting oh, in the no, program. I, I really yeah, appreciate and, that. Yeah, and you've got something coming up on the sixth. Is that right? Three, three. Yeah, movies. we've got a triple feature. So as part of the final six six six, probably for the next couple of months, we're going to be doing a Christmas triple feature. We've got Jingle All the Way at seven p.m. at eight forty-five. Classic Anakin Well, Jake Lloyd. Absolutely. Oh. At uh, eight forty-five, we'll be rocking out with uh, Christine John Carpenter's Christine, and then at. Um, I think about 10.45, A Guilty Pleasure of Mine. It's a very bad movie, but I really recommend checking it out. New Year's Evil, uh, which is about <laughs> a serial killer driving across the uh, time zones, killing people at midnight on New Year's Eve to uh, oh, yeah. mess okay. with a radio host who's hosting a live post-punk variety show. Wow. For, yeah. For the record, I think Static Vision is one of two places, the other bit you can see the Underground Film Festival, where you can see films after 10 p.m. So I, th- I thank you for that. Yeah, no problems. No problems. <laughs> yeah, absolutely come along to that. I'm probably going to buy pizza for everyone as well. Awesome. So 7 awesome. p.m., Friday the 6th, come through. Um, also keep the second last weekend of February, the weekend before Mardi Gras free. Yeah. We've got something to announce. I literally can't talk about it right now, but that whole weekend and the Friday, keep it free. There'll it's be something, something we're going to want to see. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, three days worth of stuff. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. So you can find them at Static Vision FC on Twitter, staticvision.com today, you the website, and Half Symbolic Films, which is operated by Margaret Cortez, who yeah, we've had on the show before, December not, 11th. Yeah, you should go to the Half Symbolic stuff. It's not associated with us, but I really appreciate that they've done those programs, so absolutely check them out. Okay, awesome. Right. Thank you, Felix. And we'll be back in a moment talking all things Knives Out. Stay tuned. Want something more than a 2SER sticker? (gasps) We've got shirts! Featuring some of our most recent designs as well as some retro editions, our new merch store is now online at 2SER.com. Find the merch button on our homepage. We'll be adding more goodies too, so keep an eye out. 2SER, stories, ideas, music, and shirts! Uh... 2SER Static invites you to vote for your favourite albums of 2019. Well, I come me What you gonna do about it? Vote for as many albums as you like. Details at 2SER.com slash static. Have your entries in by Tuesday, December 3rd. Static will count down your top 10 of the year on Thursday, December 12th from 8pm, here on 2SER 107.3. Vote now, 2SER.com slash static. On the Money is recommended for mature audiences only. It may and probably will contain explicit financial language, strong business themes, economic violence, course financial accounting, nudity, and credit references. 2SER recommends discreet listening once per week at 7pm Thursdays. Hi, I'm King OPP. And I'm Super. 
starting on December 8th is Psychedelic Sunday, a brand new music show on 2SER. We'll be spinning all vinyl, soul, garage, R&B, funk and more. That's right, Psychedelic Sunday from December 8th, midday, every Sunday on 2SER 107.3. Okay, put the laugh track in later. Are you looking to start your career in writing or apply your communication skills to storytelling, fiction, creative non-fiction or screenwriting? You can start with our Graduate Certificate in Editing and Publishing, which is a one-year part-time degree. Google UTS Creative Writing to find out more. UTS School of Communication sponsors 2SER. When said the moon to the stars in the sky Nick Cave and Warren Ellis the wind don't miss the legendary Australian musicians bringing their suite of film scores to life with the Sydney Symphony Orchestra and Sydney Philharmonia Choirs at Sydney Opera House. Get final tickets now for Nick Cave and Warren Ellis. December 9 at sydneyoperahouse.com. Sponsors of 2SER. And we're back on Film Fight Club talking all things Knives Out, the new film from Brick and... Last Jedi director, in this case writer, Rian Johnson. It is starring, well, everyone. Daniel Craig, Christopher Plummer, Anna de Armas, Lakeith Stanfield, um, Tony, Tony Collette, Collette. Jamie Lee Curtis. Don Johnson. Um, J- Chris Jayden, Evans. Jaden Martell, Chris Evans, of course. Michael and Shannon. And Australia's yeah. own Catherine Langford. I mm-hmm. think we've covered, have we covered everyone? I'm pretty sure we have. <laughs> there's the, uh, there's, yeah, but we pretty much have. It is a whodunit in the classic Agatha Christie style. Daniel Craig's Benoit Blanc comes upon a house where the patriarch, Played by Christopher Plummer, a celebrated crime writer named Holland Thronby has is found dead on the eve of his 85th birthday. There is a manor full of potential suspects. Who can it be? This is in cinemas tomorrow. Harris, what did we think of Knives Out? Well, I thought Knives Out was just a incredibly satisfying crowd pleaser. I absolutely loved it. Like, first off, I really love my whodunits and murder mysteries. I, I watch shows like... Murder, She Wrote, and Poirot, and then you got all the other other movies like um, Murder on the Orient Express, and so on. This is so much better than the last adaptation of Murder on the Orient Express. Than both adaptations Amen. and the original story of Murder on the Orient Express, I would argue. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. In that case, um, what makes Knives Out so good is that it, it honors the genre, but also subverts it in some way. Like, for example, like in, a, in a normal whodunit, it's usually a investigation, and it's also like an escalation. It builds up to something. But whereas in Knives Out, in every act turn, there's like a, a plot turn that just kind of changes course in a way. Yeah. And it kind of keeps you on edge. So we want to get into it this more in the podcast where we'll be talking spoilers and explaining just how this subverts the traditional murder mystery whodunit. It mm. does it in, uh, for me, some. I'm speaking very broad terms in mm. some exceptional ways. I, Whether it be the role of the Watson figure... Um, whether it be the role of the victim, actually, the mm. victim plays a very different function here yes. than in yes. any. I've like Harris. I've watched, hun- read hundreds of these novels and seen all the TV. I think almost every Poirot and Marvel TV show. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. And the way um, that the detective is brought in, and on a more basic storytelling level, it's more modern advent that it's separate from seeing the perspective of the detective, you see the perspective of a suspect or an accused. Yeah. And here um, they do both. In a, in a roundabout way. And also, you're solving mysteries that you didn't know you were solving. Very few narratives can really pull that off. That's right. It's super playful, um, which I appreciated, but at times I, d- I found it the playfulness crossed over into kind of being smug. 
Um, an example from, of this for me is like there's a lot of contemporary political discourse references, jokes about memes on Twitter and things like that. And at times I, I, I found that jarring in a way, like obviously it's intended to be jarring because it's such a like Cluedo type house and an Agatha Christie type mystery setup. Um, and he's trying to clash the super conservative traditional elements with like something really, really contemporary. But at times I think that sort of thing is just so hard to pull off. And at times it was just like, he's so sure of his own cleverness. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I kind of share that as well. I did quite like the film. Um, I did find it really interesting that those sorts of contemporary uh, references moved you're their SJW, way. You're you're a snowflake. Yeah, yeah. When they were kind of eliminating the use of cell phones and all this other stuff that would, you know, drive it into a contemporary sphere, they're yeah. still using videotapes to do the security camera footage and whatever else. Yeah. But there's a very now-ish sort of political slant to it that yeah. um, I think is mostly about appeasing an audience and kind of making them feel good about their particular... I agree. Yeah, political mm. ideology um, and be like, oh, you guys wouldn't do what these people did. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah That was exactly. kind of the vibe I was getting We're from all it. One particular good one was the that no one can remember where the Anna de Armas character Marta is from. They keep That's referring right. to her as being mm. from Brazil or else. Yeah. The actress is Cuban, though I don't think they ever actually <laughs> mentioned Cuba. Totally, oh. totally. I, I actually, I really like that bit and... Um, there is a bit uh, in the film, I don't think this is a spoiler, where the Michael Shannon character and um, a daughter of another person, I've forgotten who the actor was, sorry, um, basically say to her, hey, um, we're going to give you some money from the will because we really think you should be taken care of. And I, I thought those little things in terms of political context and the sort of jarring stuff was done really well. It was more so, I don't know. I I, I think there's some Yeah, specific, I agree. Yeah. It is that, that thing of like, first of all, you, the audience, are really clever because you get these references... And secondly, look at how dumb these people are. Yeah, but yeah. I wonder how much of that attitude is revenge from Rian Johnson because it's like the Trumpists who've been at his throat on Twitter oh, for the last two years. Completely, since completely. Last year I came out, I, so I, it's I, like I this is revenge, and it's a nice little frivolous thing to throw in there as well. Like it's it's really not caked into the script in a serious way. It's so throwaway. It's kind of like you guys are just idiots for even engaging with me on this level, which I, I kind of agree with. And by the way, love Last Jedi, best Star Wars movie. Ever I agree. Made. Actually, it's my spicy take. Sorry, I, I really love Last Jedi yeah, as well. I love- I love there Last we go. Jedi. I've really just, I really enjoyed how he just changed basically, basically changed mythology. But I love how he honored it, but in such a way that it just bends the formula to the point where it just really just takes it on another level. Another, another, but another it's level. completely. It's interesting um, to think about this in light of Last Jedi because this is doing similar things to what Last Jedi did in like taking what was established mm. with the Force Awakens and all the Star Wars movies to date, and then just kind of like swerving. This film's trying to do that, like catching yeah. you off guard, pulling the but rug out from under at you. At the same time, is kind of fully respectful of that's Clue right. and every other film that came before it. That's um, right. And I, yeah, I think it's much more effective maybe in Last Jedi than it is here. I, I but think so too. Here, it's still. Yeah, but I really well. like how precise the images are. Um, how the direct, the camera movements and the compositions and the edits. Um, and again, those are really, really playful. Not to get too much into Star Wars, but man, it's going to be such a downgrade to go back to J.J. Abrams as yeah, director. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the issue for me with this film is that it's so um, by like what is satisfying about the film is still very much tied to these kind of um, really well worn genre elements. And as a result of that, I found it not that memorable. As much as I enjoyed this film, um, as I was watching it, it evaporated from my memory very quickly. I had a lot of fun. There's a lot of great crowd pleaser moments, and then I just wasn't left with that much to think about. Yeah, yeah. No, I I kind of broadly agree with that. Um, 
I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. No, it's but not. But in the case of this film, where what it does leave you to think about are like throwaway references to snowflakes in the alt-right, it, it kind of doesn't... It's like maybe we need more than jarring. that for a political film. Totally, totally. And maybe maybe just because there is nothing else there that kind of sticks with you, leaving you with that sort of leaves a bit of a bitter aftertaste. Yeah. Because it is, again, so frivolous, which is okay. But yeah, like, Harris, I'm interested like, in what you have to say. Oh, like, I love the performances in the film. Like every established actor in the film, like they just relish the chance to cut loose. Like Tony Collette really? basically just pulls off a great... Gwyneth Paltrow impression, especially it's just it's ah, yeah, I, yeah, I never picked up on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you know how she owns the Goop company, it's like that. And like, what was it called in the film? It had flam. a flam, flam, flam. Yeah, flam. flam. Exactly, it's just spot on. And uh, Michael Shannon is a uh, is a bit more sniveling than usual, although he hasn't seen the movie where he's a bit more menacing, especially towards um our lead character and. Daniel Cray, it looks like he's having the time of his life. He's his accent is so stupid. Yeah, it's oh, like <laughs> I don't like that. It's one of my detractions for this movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Which uh, we're gonna get into spoilers talking about because we only got a minute left. Uh, has anyone seen Frozen? Just quickly. No. no did you oh, see it? What? Absolutely not. I assume it's just as good and bad as all the rest of them. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll get we get around to Frozen. We, Will we? we? Promise at I, some the, point, the first maybe. one was like. You know, not actually very good. Even Sorry. even taken out in its own terms. I've derailed the last minute. So. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It's just frozen. God, now we're talking about frozen. Let it go, guys. Let it go. So you we'll, wish they did, huh? we'll be back next week, but we will continue on the on the podcast talking all things spoilers for Knives Out. I want to give a special shout out to Harris. You can find Harris at Filmomatic, Filmomatic, all one word, and reviews on the AU Review and Impulse Game and at filmaticreviews.wordpress.com. And Felix, you can find Felix at Static Vision FC. And Static Vision is having their event on December 6th at Palace Central. It is the Christmas Triple with John Carpenter's Christine, um, New Year's Evil, and oh my God. Jingle, Jingle all the way. way. Jingle all the way. One of my favorite <laughs> trash Christmas movies. Yeah. Oh, Th- thanks so much for having me on. I've had a really good time. It's, yeah, it's, thanks for being here, man. It's really fun. And, and thank co- you, Harris. Yeah. Thank you, Harris. And come find us at Static Vision. And Stay tuned for the Sonic Assassin. This has been Glenn Fowlings and Chris Evans, Felix Hubble, and Harris Dang, and Rat Neru coming back next week. Stay tuned for more. Have a good night. Enjoy movies. Good night. And we're back on Film Fight Club. We're going to do a few more talking points on Knives Out non spoilers. We're going to do the spoilers. Um, Daniel Craig was actually one of the biggest attractions in this film for me. I didn't like his accent. I found it distracting. Benoit Blanc is not nearly as interesting a detective or inspector as nearly anyone else. He has a few foibles. Yes, he's not as traditionally smart or as, say, Poirot, or as clinical in the way he would go about finding clues. He more stumbles into anything anything else. He's a funny character. There's one particularly great scene that he shares at the uh, towards the close of the film with um, a central character where they're both where someone someone bemoans how much of a schmuck he is. I know Daniel, Daniel Craig. Yeah. yeah, I know well, Daniel Craig's yeah. having fun with this, but I think Chris Evans was better while also having a lot more fun with this movie, playing someone yeah. a nihilist who is absolutely the other side of Captain America. I usually find Chris Evans awful outside in a lot of films, but you know, basically good in the Captain America role. But um, here, I thought I thought he was really good. I wonder if um, he is really just a comedic actor at heart and needs that kind of like ironic distance to thrive. He was really good at hamming it up in this film. I think. Um, everyone's having it up, and it, it at times Ex- for me, there's that... a couple of exceptions though. Christopher Plummer is not probably having it up as well. The best in show. Anna Christopher Plummer was excellent. awesome. Yeah, he was, he was so good. Yeah, yeah. And Armas, oh my god, I've always enjoyed her performances. This is, I think, the best she, performance today. It's, it's a bit strange though because she's so sincere in her role. She's yeah. so, whereas everyone else is like 
you know, kind of doing a 21st century, like, Cluedo. I guess the stakes in, are maybe yeah. a bit higher for her character That's as true. well. Like, That's true. Both in terms of uh, no spoilers on <laughs> the plot <laughs> yeah. and... Um, yeah. Also, the political I, I, context I guess as the well. political context as well is yeah. Really, yeah, really she's she's meant to be the victim in in this regard. Yeah. yeah. Um, I saw someone online make a point about this movie, which I was kind of thinking when we watched. Uh, no, this this is spoiler territory, so well, we can, I'll hold that thought. Well, yeah. I mean, one one other point I'll raise before we get into spoiler territory, and what I really liked about this, distinct from many other crime fiction films, is that there's an inherent kindness running through this, particularly as regards the relationship between two central characters, and a sequence which we'll get into, which would normally be dripping with malevolence, is underlined by this genuine empathy between these two figures. And mm. um, one of the, I'll say one of them. One of them is Christopher Plummer. He's playing an exceptional character. One of the more interesting characters has been brought to life. And there's a Plummer's great. first act twist, which just has an entirely distinct Is it time to go spoilers? Sequence. Well, uh, Harrison, there any other non-spoiler points you want to bring up about Knives Out? Uh, oh, no. Let's get into it. Let's get into right. it. Harry. So... This is spoilers. This is, we're going full pelt spoilers. We're going to give you a warning too that this is not a film you want spoiled for you. So if you do want to see yeah, it, yeah, part of the fun is seeing the way that it plays out, which is quite different to how it's been advertised. So, so now that we're there, it's not a traditional. We should, should we say it. what happened? Oh, spoiler alert! Jesus. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we should we should we'll give uh, what I'll do is I'll give an explanation of the first, second, and third act twists. Uh, the end of the first act twist is that Anna de Armas's character, who is his nurse, um, it is in her, she is led to understand that she has accidentally poisoned him with some medicine she was giving him, where he engineers so as not to get her in trouble and potentially see also her family sent away from the country. Uh, reverse engineers a crime, which where it's made to look like a he committed suicide and b she was not there. Um, ultimately, his death is. Um, eventuated by his committing suicide. Uh, however, there are many other circumstances which we will go on to in this, uh, surrounding this, which we'll go on to discussing so about the second and third act. Rather than twists. being a traditional whodunit, um, it's, we know exactly the, the correct, the, at the beginning, what Lakeith Stanfield says, this is an open and, and clo- shut suicide, and it turns out it is a suicide. What the movie is really about is figuring out legal technicalities about who is actually responsible, who is to blame, and, you know, has... Have murders also been committed? Will they be committed? Um, so what makes this great is that she now starts to be the Watson figure who follows him along. <laughs> but she knows this is great, this is hilarious suspense in that. Oh wait, he's actually trying to catch her, and we're wondering: Are we rooting for her? Or are we rooting for Benoit Blanc? That's right. Which, is Benoit Blanc going to figure it out? Yeah, I like the the suspense of he is holding her close to his side all the time, and it, it seems that combined with uh, his being not okay the film puts us in the position where we think that we know way more than benoit blanc and combined with the strange accent he has he basically seems to be a dumbass so yeah. it's not although i think that the more dumbassy stuff kind of kick in second act yeah like before that they distance us and they're like is he some mysterious he's a mysterious detective yeah. figure hit the second act this guy's a total dumbass yeah and then third act it's it turns like, out he's... actually he's not a dumbass at all yeah but maybe but maybe you know, he is yeah but he's still a bit of a schmuck but yeah. a Poirot but you know he was he yeah. turns out to be brilliant when it counts but yeah. a Poirot figure even though he's a bit eccentric and people you know what are you doing what are these methods you always know that he has you know he, he's on top of it here you're, you're really like is this guy just an idiot and you're, you may be rooting for him to fail, and then yeah. the film turns that on its head at the end, yeah. which I, I really appreciated. It's yeah. actually, um, I only really started to like this film 
when it was revealed that it wasn't a traditional whodunit and we got the the scenes showing um the lead up to Christopher Plummer's death which is a fantastic scene yeah I've um, talked really about- good use of different perspectives and nice editing and amazing acting. I talked about what I liked about this film. What I didn't like was the first act very much, which was very yeah, traditional. I did not like the when first When it yeah, got exactly. to the second bit, this amazing scene where he's just being so kind of like, don't worry, I'm going to solve this. And you have a yeah. crime writer reverse engineering and covering up he had the, the quote-unquote crime. I will run through the second and third acts twists briefly. Um, what everyone gives us to suspect the martyr character is when his will is read out, it was, found, it was found out that he changed a week earlier and left everything to her instead of his squabbling family. The third act twist, and this is where it gets very, very complicated, <laughs> is that it turns out that the culp- culprit is Chris Evans, where he attempted to poison, to trick Marta into poisoning um, um He's his father. Really clever script because yeah. it checked out. It made sense to me. Yeah, I don't think mm. there's actually such a convoluted plot. I mean, Harris, we were talking about this. Uh, we, we we watched the film together. Right. We were chatting online about this afterwards, and mm. I was throwing all these things at you. I thought didn't make sense, but you were bringing up all these points. Like, no, uh, actually, this fits in, and I don't think there's anything. There's, I don't think there's any logic gaps here. Oh, there's a lot of stuff that you bring up that is like. Like in retrospect, that you might not figure out, but then then you just think about it, and it kind of makes sense. Like, for example. Um, the reason why uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's character would um like be black would not get any of the money of the will was basically because that um she's she brands herself as self sufficient like she starts her own company and then it starts off she just keeps showing off that she shows off having her own company but it turns out that she, it doesn't really didn't do it at all and oh. she finds out yeah. Yeah, I love this because mm. a, a lot of he was disappointed with a lot of his children too, yeah. and it's often to a great extent. I felt he was trying to impress on them. We want, I want you to be self sufficient, but there's very different shades of gray here. There are some who are just leeching off him, and mm. there are some who are taking advantage of him. Uh, the Jamie Lee Curtis character obviously is done very well for herself, but he wants. Her, it's apparent that he wants her now to be self sufficient, and mm. separate to that, he did an act of kindness for her in revealing in his last moments that her husband was being unfaithful to her as yes. a mercy to know you need this person out of your life I'm trying mm. to I, I know this may seem a lot of what I'm doing may seem harsh but I'm trying to make all your lives better as I said there's this enormous yeah. kindness mm. underrunning the entire film I actually really liked the that's a very end reveal nice big spoiler on it Um, I loved when she waved the match under it and it's invisible oh, ink so I kind of like I guess that was maybe what was going to happen but it's like of course he. this is the daughter that he has most of a relationship with in a positive sense of course they've got little things like sharing notes on invisible ink and stuff like that and it's just kind of like a nice little which they foreshadow yeah they do foreshadow as well and it's a nice little sort of reference to a lot of the Agatha Christie novels that would have stuff like that in it and then simultaneously it really like fleshes out your understanding of Christopher Plummer as a character and his relationship with the family he doesn't necessarily hate his kids which I think is a way that a lot of these mysteries sort of play out where it's like in the first act it seems like oh does this guy just hate his kids with um, you know Mm. when it's giving you a motive for them all to dislike him yeah when when he catches the daughter-in-law the Tony Collette character um, stealing his... So, no, it's not Tony Collette. Is it is Tony Collette stealing his money and double billing the tuition. doesn't say, I'm cutting off. He just says, look, I know what you've been doing, but from now on, I care about you, but from now on, I need you to be self-sufficient. So there's a warmth to everything he does, but the most warm thing was this relationship between uh, Harlan Thromby and Marta, the Christopher and its armors characters. We have a few scenes of them together. This is Really well sketched. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that she's she's giving him morphine as as a fun end of the day break. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But th- those scenes where they have that kind of like um, 
he's like the crutchety old man kind of guy and she's like the caring nurse but like able to um you know he holds his own he's not just this weak feeble kind of guy um i yeah i thought it's just a, a small kind of scene we really get to see between them but um you get a lot of a sense of like the of the backstory there um and the dynamic they have like I could have watched a whole lot more about about <laughs> Mata looking after Harlan. Yeah, completely. I I do think though that um one thing that kind of bothered me a little bit about it is that I guess there's this implication throughout it that um wealth has made the family complacent and whatever yeah. else. Um and you know he is the the benevolent billionaire whatever who gives away all his money of course. Um. Yeah, I kind of think that maybe the thematic stuff, all right, which, by the way, obviously, I think that the demonstration that the aspect of wealth and growing up in that wealth has made these people essentially well-meaning people kind of leech off him. Totally yeah. makes sense. Totally good. Um, giving away the wealth to Marta as a solution to this kind of is a bit baffling to me because I feel like the suggestion is that, uh, hey, maybe there are like good millionaires, billionaires out there. Mm. Right. Um. But the the clan, the people that will come after that, like the children are going to grow up in that wealth and not know how to survive outside of it. And it's going to kind of twist their moral compass and whatever else to the mm. point where you're kind of going, oh, someone's trying to kill him. And you can judge the rest of the family and they're doing anything they can to hold on to that wealth. And are we just going to pass that, pass that on to on? someone else but and like let that wealth, wealth kind of continue its cycle? I, it, uh, yeah, yeah, I think Maybe, you're right. And to the point, the character I, Langford character, who was not, in my view, a bad character. She was. Yeah. There's a scene where she's shown to be doing something bad and taking advantage of a martyr, but the fact is the family was shown in the background just to be um, pushing her on. Completely, completely, completely. Yeah, I, she's basically just stuck between a rock and a hard place. You know, like her, yeah. her bond with the family and her, her bond with like trying to do what's right. Yeah, she's basically stuck in between the. Yeah, I, I get. I guess for me, it's sort of like he. There's a implication that no one should have this wealth, essentially, which I kind of agree with. Whatever. Yeah, but um, but then the solution is let's just pass it on. Let's pass it on to a more worthy person I, to have the yeah. wealth. It's it. Yeah, I agree. Is like, yeah. I, I think that's pretty astute. It's not that yeah, yeah. well thought through. I guess. I guess it's the not def- the main concern of yeah. the film. Obviously, yeah, exactly. you know, it's a thematic thing. I guess yeah. the the defense for that would be, you know, Harlem is an author he made he you know did something good which is writing books and Marta is a, you know a good caring person you yeah. know, who comes from a position of wealth and sorry of, of poverty and struggle yeah and therefore she's not tainted in the same way as people who just Completely. are brought up believing they're yeah. entitled totally, to totally. Something. I think about yeah I, I guess I'm thinking more about like what about modest kids or, yeah yeah exactly <laughs> what are they going to be like, but, like but yeah, that's yeah. why yeah. there's that key conversation with yeah. Benoit Blanc about why what are you going to do with the money should I give it to them I don't think you should give anything to them but I think you'll do where your heart directs you I think there's a very strong implication that she's going to say alright you'll get a few million dollars go and be happy do what you can yeah. and I, I found myself thinking about the strand afterwards and I'm pretty sure that's what um, the Holland Frommy character would have wanted her to do I think the implication yeah, yeah, is that completely. there are good people um, and there are just, and there are some very, very bad people, irrespective of wealth to a great extent. But having said yeah. that, but we see these, again, these shades of where this wealth is very, impl- more than implicitly corrupted. Ransom, the Chris Evans character, the uh, Tony, Tony Collette character, and the Michael Shannon character. With the Jamie Lee Curtis character, it's much uh, more arguable. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that broadly. Mm. Yeah. And um, on the matter of um, some of the images, I loved the image- imagery in this film. Uh, some of the exterior shots I found, some of the scene in the sunroom, they I were a little that, unnatural. It, I was, I remember you saying that when I was watching it. I didn't really notice the green screen. I, there was one shot where I said, oh, okay, maybe that's a green screen backdrop, but otherwise, not really. So. I don't think my eyes are good enough for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and 
what I also loved was how all the asides, they were all, all the little clues, they were couched in comedy. You never see that. And the, the yeah. line about Hugh, I'm, I'm only the, only the help calls me Hugh. And yeah, that yeah, coming yeah. Yeah. hugely yeah. relevant later. Excuse me, that wasn't a pun. Um, and on that. Such a well constructed script. Yeah, yeah. 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 I was saying earlier, um, you know, oh, this is, you know, not that memorable, just kind of a fun time. But there are very few films that offer like a really fun time at the moment. So, yeah, totally. I think this is a film that people are getting really excited about, which is really kind of nice to see because it's not a franchise thing. It's not a big event. Um, It's, it's, Sort of pastiche of the genre yeah. is not old school pleasures of like yeah. good script, yeah. good acting, yeah. and you know nicely paced and exciting to look at visually. Totally, and it, like I absolutely don't like it as much as these other films, but like I would kind of put it in the class of um, Irishman, Marriage Story. You're looking, yeah, at, I agree. I don't like a, it as much as those, but it's no, a, it's a good it's film. That sort of, it's holding on to traditional. It's an actual film, like <laughs> you know, like yeah, it's it's yeah. a fully fleshed out concept that is doing something. It's it's got like its little bit of irony yeah. in there, and like a little wink and a nudge but you know it's not it's not on the same it's in the same category as uh, yeah franchise exploitation or like mm. any of that sort oh, of Oh no sequel. they're talking about a sequel. Ah uh, yeah but that's fine like it's not it's not like we made a sequel to Clue. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's right. Um yeah Crawl, it, it, Crawl it, is another film in that category. Oh guys. man I, I heard really good things <laughs> but I missed it. Yeah yeah. I'll like, catch it on a, Everyone missed it don't worry. Yeah yeah. <laughs> um there's some inspired comedic moments that I really enjoyed. It's like there's one moment like near the end of the film that where Daniel Craig basically just goes on a monologue about donuts. Yeah. Oh just, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's like, oh, you you, you got to fill that <laughs> hole, and right. then like, you fill that <laughs> the hole, and the, it's the like, hole oh my god, there's a hole in that hole. It's just so inspired and yet so silly. It's, it's just, sort of the dialogue I kind of wanted out of uh, Murder on the Orient Express. Me too. Yeah. But the thing, Murder on the Orient Express, is is a strange opposite to this because it was a totally. movie that was really silly and not aware of it. Yeah. This mm. film is like is thriving in the silliness. Completely, and also that is a movie that is literally going, hey, we're doing that same movie you've seen again. It's with the new cast and the. Yeah. The actor that exactly. did this sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if, if they do do a sequel, it's not going to have the same charge. Because, again, a lot of the tension is like, is this a regular um, murder mystery? Is Wedmore Blank actually just stupid? You know, um, they're not going to be able to hold on to that again. It'll have to be something different, which, again, isn't necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. They could do, they could do like, an unfriended to unfriended dark web sort of thing where it's, mm. like, a new ensemble cast, a different sort of thing. Yeah. Like, you know, Benoit Blanc comes on out in some crossed. different context. If there's anyone who'll be <laughs> yeah. allowed to do it, it's Ryan Johnson. Like, yeah, yeah. Give him the money to do it, but yeah. I hope he keeps on playing with genre. I really dug Completely. Looper as well, and, and Brick, yeah. I liked. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of his early films, like, in every um, Ryan Johnson movie, there's always a Joseph Gordon-Levitt appearance. Did you notice the, the Was he cameo? in this one? Uh, he, had a vo- he had a voice cameo oh. in the beginning of the film. You're he kidding. W- That's, uh, right. That's awesome. Was yeah. he in Last Jedi? Uh, I believe he was as well, but in the case of uh, Knives Out, there's a scene where um, the family, Marta's family, they they listen to like this detective story. I, be- I believe it was on oh, the laptop. Or yes, it was like yeah. a bad soap opera. Oh. Yeah, NCIS. Yeah, that was type. him. <laughs> oh, I didn't yeah. I didn't notice that at all. Wow. Yeah, wow. Yeah. I saw Jessica it's Fletcher. Well hidden. Mm. Okay. Oh yeah, that's right. The murder she wrote stuff. Yeah. Um, wow. Um, two, I guess, final points I loved about this. The fact that they take us to what we think is a denouement and then go from there to a further one. I, it's very hard to see a narrative film, especially in the space of two hours, go through those sorts of arcs. And it did, and they very appreciated it. And on that, there's a few very special joys I get from cinema. And one is uh, like what was achieved in, say, The Illusionist, where the ending or the conclusion is spelled out to you quite literally in the way... I know, but it, it's such a trademark of the genre. You have to have the... 
detective explains it all and mm. reveals all the things that were hidden in plain sight, but, but you weren't smart enough. And they did it a few times, like literally saying, it was Hugh, it was Hugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> just, just, I love yeah, it. Yeah. It's, it's so great. Oh. And, and literally just spells out, why, why did you ask the real questions? Like, who hired me? Like, but, how, yeah. how did I end up in the Has story? Has there ever been a, ca- a film or a narrative where the actual accused, the, the perpetrator, hired the detective? I can't think of one. Going, mm. great yeah, twist. that's true. Yeah. yeah, going back to what Felix said before about uh, like memento, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, fair call, fair call, right? right. Yeah. Going back to um, what Felix said about like this is a real movie. Isn't it nice to see a movie that like has a sense of humor about itself that feels like genuine? Like that's part of the design as opposed to like mandated quips. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, no, I, I mean, I'm a it's I'm like the, just a fake movie, which is mostly yeah. what we've been getting. I, as big as the cynic as they come about this stuff, yeah. I have to watch so much between all the different jobs I'm doing, and um, yeah, it's something like Knives Out, which you know I've I've got some pretty big issues with, but it's not it's not even inoffensive. It's actually just kind of baseline enjoyable yeah. regardless of everything feels fleshed out feels like a real thing you can see all of the effort that uh Rian johnson's gone to to yeah. make the film his touch is all over it um it's yeah it's it's just not studio notes you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah exactly just, i'm sure it, it there has, were studio notes i'm sure it was yeah but it has rapid, but yeah. i'm pretty sure it was independently financed and then yeah. lionsgate bought the rights to it afterwards there you go yeah you go. um it's probably maybe the only way to, to do it these days yeah, yeah, unless really. netflix comes comes to your rescue but yeah, yeah his his personal touch his personality is all over the film yeah yeah totally well it's still a playing to the masses crowd pleaser yeah works he just he clearly really wanted to make it yeah, <laughs> yeah. and that's that's all I ask of a movie that someone actually wanted to make it and, Agreed. It's, ne- and it's never annoyingly self-referential it's not like uh, Deadpool where they just have the film oh, point out so references like oh yeah we, we know that this is superhero especially when something understand. is a calculated product yet they're trying to prove that you know we're hip we're, we're you know yeah. we're not just a brand we, we know that it's dumb and it's like well if you know it's dumb just don't don't make it yeah, completely. Completely. You yeah. can opt out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's ironic and self-referential, yeah. Yeah. even though it was to an extent, um, but in an enjoyable way. That is Knives Out. It is in cinemas from November 28th. That is tomorrow. Um, Static Vision's Triple Christmas event, Triple Six, is happening on December 6th. You can catch it at Static Vision FC on Twitter and staticvision.com.au. You can catch Harris Thang at Filmatic on Twitter and Filmatic Reviews and his reviews on the AU Review and Impulse Gamer. And actually, I'm going to put you on the spot, Harris. I'm sorry we haven't discussed this, but I saw today on Twitter, we haven't covered this film. Last Christmas. I don't think we're going to be covering it necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you you caught it today? Uh, yes, I caught it earlier today. And uh, okay, I, I'm a George Michael fan. I, I love his music. That's that's fair enough. And uh, I'm not so much into Amelia Clark, but I do like in Henry Golding in movies like uh, Simple Favor and. Um, do you like Paul Feig? Oh uh, yes, I like Paul Feig. Although I didn't like Ghostbusters that much. But in the case of Last Christmas, it was terrible. Um, it's not terrible. Oh no, I mean Ghostbusters. I haven't seen Last Christmas. Oh, last Christmas is not terrible. It's it's inoffensive. Like it's it's sickly sweet. It's sweet, but um, there's a it's not as well written as it should be. It's 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 very long. It's way too long for a romantic comedy. And Amelia Clark, she's she she's belongs a bad in, actor. Yeah, you know, I, I think, I think she's, she's a bad too. actor, but I haven't yeah? seen this. But it, like, her her facial expressions like it pays off really well here actually in the ro- romantic comedy genre like you wouldn't want to see that in, like Terminator Genesis. Or she has a cutesy other. look. Yeah, exactly a cutesy look. Like she has like more eyebrow acting than Jim Carrey ever would, <laughs> and yeah. um, it, it's it's fine. Like, but the problem is that the marketing was terrible. Like you see the trailer, 
No, I didn't. Uh, yeah, this movie yeah. seems to have just died. But also, the beginning of November seems way too early for a Christmas movie. Yeah. Uh, I think this is going to be the one they roll to Christmas itself. Right. Like it's just going to run, and then on the 24th, yeah. you're out Gone. of here. Gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Increase the little cinemas. You know, yeah. Your, yeah, your office Christmas party or you right. know, whatever else. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was that was bad. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that's last Christmas, it is in cinemas. So now. it's not that good? Not that good. Um, it's okay. It's good it's enough. It's just okay. It's good any, enough. Any yeah. enjoyable musical sequences? Um... It, it's just last Christmas repeated over and over, especially on toys. That's basically oh, it. So you yeah. hear that one song just endlessly? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, endlessly. man. Okay. Exactly. If you're a really big fan of the song Last Christmas, go and see Last Christmas. You'll <laughs> love it. Otherwise, you know, just play the song and loop on Spotify. Yeah. Uh, guys, thank you so much for coming on. It's been great. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Oh, thank you very much, man. And we'll be back next week. Uh, to without Veratne. Sorry, Veratne will actually not be back next week, but he'll be there. He'll be, he might call him. Someone will be on the show. So, we'll yeah. figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Let, me, let me defend Lady Ghostbusters uh, quickly. Oh, yeah? Uh, oh, okay, sure, yeah. Uh, it's no better or worse than any other movie that's ever been made. My take on it. Yeah. <laughs> I th- it was It was just like... I, do, I don't like it, but like, and, whatever. And you yeah. and Kate McKinnon and Chris Hemsworth are both great in it. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah well, yeah, going back to what you were saying earlier, my issue with Ghostbusters, as someone who's dug quite a few things Paul Feig has made, is I didn't think there was much of his personality on it no 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 mm. i i think they i uh, wrote the jokes out of the script but yeah that's been every comedy for the last five years so <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> just improv improv yeah. it all you know Completely. this is funny we're all having fun yeah. on the set yeah we mm. let the camera run for 13 minutes a la what they did on gold member this is going to work every time we'll yeah. just <laughs> cut the jokes in gold member it's high time but like uh, yeah. the problem with that improv style is just just that everything becomes um like Oh, isn't this awkward? Like yeah, over and yeah. over and over again. I, I don't think it kind of um, suits itself as well to stuff like Ghostbusters or any sort. Of, I haven't seen the new Charlie's Angels, but like I, I feel like those big uh, tempole franchisey stuff. It's it, it works really well in say a Funny People that's going to be two hours and twenty minutes long and mm. good movie. You know, yeah, it is a good movie, but that, that's kind of a, it's people hanging out and experiencing mm. life and something like I, I don't know Ghostbusters is more structured or whatever. Yeah. But again. Every every comedy has been this for the last five years. It's no better or no or worse. <laughs> it's yeah. just a different flavor. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. So that is Ghostbusters and except <laughs> Bodied. Bodied. That was an excellent comedy. Oh, Bodied, Bodied, is, Bodied, is, Bodied is an exception. Oh, yeah. Joseph Kahn's a genius. But that, yeah, Joseph Kahn's a genius, and that's also just a really tight script. That doesn't yeah. feel just like improv all over the place. That film yeah. is so precise. Yeah, yeah completely. Oh, yeah. I was watching Ragnarok last night on TV. It just. Uh, I, Thor Ragnarok. They're, they're great moments, but yeah, Thor. It, yeah, it's, I, I've got uh, this, right. this exact same opinion. It's got just yeah, yeah too much ad living. Yeah, and uh, and ultimately, I agree. As much mm. as they want to say it's not a Marvel movie, it's just the same. That's as right. Every other Everyone's like, everyone always brings up Thor Ragnarok as an example yeah. of like, well, you can really see the director's personality in this one. It's like, well, can you? Yeah. It <laughs> feels it's the same beats, the same <laughs> general minutes. Civil War, but basically the same style of comedy. Yeah, yeah, it's the same. Yeah, completely. Anyway, completely. Yeah, yeah and improv uh, comedy just ruins the escalation of the story. Like, you, you have, like, an action movie here, you know? Like, yeah, you know, completely. Let alone completely. the joy yeah. of, like, a well-put-together p- joke. Yeah. yeah. And on that note, out Knives again. Out. Knives <laughs> 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 Out, and the exception to the rule of the improv comedy ruining movies, you got uh, Last Jedi as well, which has some really yeah. tightly... It does. Really done mm. com- comedic moments. It does. And yeah. I like that we have another member of the Last Jedi fan club on oh, the show. Absolutely. I like the Last Jedi. I just it's just not my favorite. I, I, I'd say it's It's absolutely I'd, my favorite really? Star Wars For me, movie. I think I think it has yeah. the best heights. Yeah. I don't mm. like some of the subplots as much as like the main plot, yeah. which is the only reason I might rank Empire Strikes Back above it, but yeah. otherwise they're pretty much neck and neck for Empire me. Empire Strikes Back and Star Wars are both shorter as well, which yes. is yes. a benefit. Huge, huge point in their mm. corner. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, I for me it's I struggle with 
a ranking Return of the Jedi and The Last Jedi, I will put Man. A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. We are going to debate yeah. this when Star Wars is coming out, but but yeah. basically, Glenn, you're wrong. Return <laughs> of the Jedi yeah. is not good. And the best Return, one. Return, of, the Je- Return of the Jedi is a lousy third act. The rest of the film is good, and the yeah. and the rescuing of Han is great. I'll defend it. I mean, the worst but like, one. Like way too early. That should happen at least like midway. Yeah. Oh, well, we, we could get into uh, this. Oh, no, no, compared compared to, to, to the worst one. Last Jedi, uh, yeah. where the equivalent is Finn just coming out of the coma, they actually established how they went and got Han in this well, whole I epic agree. Sequence. The Finn stuff oh. in Last Jedi, I don't think is that this, good. This is the yeah. true film fight club. That's right. Oh, that's right. Oh, you bring out the nerd. Bring out the nerd rage about Star Wars. Gloves are off. We're having a dedicated. We'll do this. We'll do this the night Star Wars comes out. We will. Oh yeah. Anyway, have a good night. Take care, guys. Movies and keep your knives out. Good night. Good night. You know